0: Or listening to the running public from marathoners to mud runners we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster that's right this podcast
1: is for you guys the running public
0: i might just pick right back up with a question about this race question about this race the spartan race
1: oh um well here let's do this let's do something proper today here Bracken and I hit the record button, surprise, we're recording. Um, folks, we typically record on Thursdays and we release episodes on Friday-ish, and our recording with our guest, we tried and tried and tried It kept getting disconnected, getting disconnected. We want to make sure we have something out for you. So Bracken and I had a backup plan today. We pushed that interview off till next week or two, and here we are today, us, hello, Hey, Bracken. Hey, audience. Raw and unfiltered. (laughs) This was a fast pivot, we will call it, but we have a plan. What's our plan, Bracken? That's
0: right. You're going to get to listen (laughs) to a classic BS session with the two of us. This is the conversation we would have off mic. We're going to have it on mic. Yeah.
1: Well, what typically happens is when we are waiting for our guests to arrive or before or after our recordings, we talk about things that seem to matter to us or ongoings in life or wherever our brains take us somewhere in the middle and we were starting one of those in between continually breaking up and coming back to our guests we were sneaking in these little mini conversations in between recording attempts and it's like let's just
0: keep that rolling that makes a lot of sense to me it does now city halls garbage and recycling are being picked up right now can you hear this mm-hmm. i can hear a lot that. of background noise this is nonsense.
1: That's right. Listeners, listeners don't understand. I just had somebody dump, I don't know, three tons of dirt into my yard, and it's not my dirt. It's I have no plans. I didn't order dirt, and now my entire yard is full of black dirt. <laughs> a dump truck came and did it. So at least you're not dealing with that. I have a- Your your property. My property. On my yard. Not like on the property line? All on my property. There's a mound of dirt that's 10 feet tall. On my property, happened about a half hour ago. I stepped out there before the recording. I was like, that's new. Why is that there? So that's what I'm dealing with.
0: Was the guy still there?
1: Nope. Nobody in sight. Just a pile of dirt on my yard.
0: <laughs> so you don't even have a company to call? Nope. No number, no name. Just a pile of black dirt. <laughs> <laughs> what <are> you- <laughs> so, what's? I-, I was thinking you had seen the truck. And you talk to him and he's like, I'm not sure it's just delivered here. And then you would call and find out, but you have no leads.
1: Nope. Zero leads. Just a big pile of dirt. I got to figure out something to do with.
0: So you check with the neighbors around you. And if not, then you host a a soil sale
1: yep, we host a soil and sale, and you
0: capitalize on this.
1: Yeah. I guess the, my options are limitless. So, um, yeah, you still have noise there, but we'll deal with it.
0: You were saying something. It's on its way out. Um, that was it just leaving.
1: So what I was getting at is your situation could be worse. Like having them then dump a pile of dirt in your yard. Uh, We were talking about a Spartan race, so why don't you continue that? Yeah, I
0: had a a listener reached out and said, hey, I want to see you run a race. (laughs) Here's a code, go run a race. I was like, I don't know. I already signed up for a 3K. I don't think this code's good for another 3K, and I don't really have any other races near me or on my schedule, so I don't know what to do. But then there's a few people I'm working with that are running the Cincinnati Spartan race, located in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, because of course it is. And I thought, why not? It's on a little Midwest ski hill. I won't have to just run Mm -hmm. for miles and miles and miles straight. I can go up and down a little. Usually Midwest ski hills are steep, nasty little things. And that's kind of my jam. So let's do that. And then I clicked clicked on it and it's a beast. So it's a half marathon distance, Mm -hmm. which A, that's too much for me. And B... I looked up the profile of the course of, uh, of the ski runs and everything, and it's almost identical to Alpine Valley here in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which you've been at with me. And I looked up our five-finger death punch segment there. Do you remember that when we did that? Don't I still hold the record on the five-finger death punch section? Yes. You had the KOM there. That's right, I do. You want to explain to the audience what the the five fingered death punch is?
1: Uh, sure, but I'm not very well versed in it because I was only there once. But it's five ski runs on the very left hand side, I believe, of the mountain. If you're looking at it, and you go up each of the runs and down the same service road, so you do five climbs. Uh, repeat for time. It was roughly a half an hour effort, so it's a big effort, if I recall. And they're very steep and punchy, so it's a it's a time trial of going up and down all five climbs for time. Isn't that what it is? And it's kind of built like a finger. Like the left one is the most, it's like a right hand. looks like a fist. Yeah. The left one is the shortest, like your little thumb. And then they kind of, they're built that way. Right?
0: Yeah. And I built it as a, as a time trial, as a fitness check. I go do that. It's about 30 minutes of work. So it's a good climbing and descending threshold test. Maybe closer to 35. And then you came out and you broke my record on my segment on your first try, which I've never really gotten over. okay. Because I don't have that on you. I think I only have one single descent segment on your mountain. You have all the rest. You do. And it's a tough
1: one. It's a very good one. I've gone for it before. Unacceptable. And, uh, and it's a stout. It's like a 150-foot like yeah. drop, very technical, probably 30% grade downhill. And Bracken's got those twinkle toes. And when it comes to that gross downhill running on very steep technical terrain, Bracken levitates. And so I've been within a second... A handful of times, but I don't think I've beaten it.
0: Well, if you ever want to get me to visit, all you got to do is beat that <laughs> and I'll be right up there the next day, knocking on your door saying, lay some yeah. up Kirk. Well, anyway, point being, I was on a call with an athlete this morning who is racing it, trying to figure out what could this course look like? Cause it's a, can you imagine fitting a 13 mile race on that <sighs> ski hill? It's got a lot of runs. Yes. But otherwise, or a park on the top or bottom. Well, we ran five of the eight runs. And the final three are all the size of the first little one. So I, I looked up the stats on that segment. It's like 3.5 miles and it has 1,100 feet of vert total. So even if you had the other ones in, you're looking at five miles of run with maybe 1,600 feet of vert. Yeah. So where do the other seven miles come from is the question. Eight you're miles. going to have
1: to do some Google map imaging search and figure out what they have to use there. But there's a... There's a chance you have 3,500 feet of vert trails. on a very steep up and down, and all you're doing is going up, down, up, down, up, down.
0: Yeah, and I don't think you would be even be able to get 13 miles on that mountain without maybe doing the full loop, like doing mm-hmm. all eight runs and then doing them again and then looping around somewhere. Uh, so I don't think they can do that. So my my thinking is that there's going to be a ton of mountain bike and running trails around the backside and on the side. So you're going to get seven and a half, eight miles of just running. So I don't know. I don't know if I have that fitness, Kirk. Uh, And and the beast is the only elite race day one. So Well, let me
1: um, help you sort this out. And I'm going to give you two very strong, three, three very strong reasons why I actually think you should do something like that. What do you tell me gets you into monster shape? Tell me if you just did this one thing. Long grindy what, is work. It, say that again, please. <laughs> what
0: gets you? Long grindy work and uh, long hill work.
1: What What do you anticipate this race potentially being? At least. That. Okay. Now imagine this. Training for an Ultra, you went and ran 425 in the mile, 26 in the mile, somewhere around that, while you were doing big three hour plus long runs on the weekends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I extended an invite to you to come run the Afton Trail 25K on July 1st. Imagine if you went and you raced Cincinnati Mm -hmm. Beast and then three weeks later went and hit the Afton Trail Race 25K and then go to Mystery 3K event racing down. I have zero doubt that those two efforts thrown in as races would propel your fitness forward in a shorter 3K event. So the timeline there for what you say moves your fitness well, even if you're humbled at one or both, eyes on the prize. And so I don't really see how you could justify not doing one or both
0: events, in my opinion. That was two reasons. Well, I'll tell you. Ego. Oh, screw ego. I don't want to go and get my butt kicked and feel terrible doing it. And it's because I still have that not real PTSD hanging over my head from the last time I ran a Midwest beast and got spanked up and down the course for the last hour. Yep. That was a terrible feeling. Now, granted, that was also the beginning of training for the Tennessee Mile, and it spurred me on and re- made me realize what I need to work on. So I know it'll be good for me, but little baby Bracken inside of me doesn't want to get spanked.
1: Nobody wants to get spanked or get the wooden spoon, which is what I got that. That one, I think there's <laughs> some people who do. not. No seven-year-olds, I don't think, anyways. Maybe <laughs> as you get older, you, you grow back into it. Okay.
0: I didn't know we were talking about seven-year-olds. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have said
1: that. I used to laugh. My mom would get out the spoon, and I was real naughty, and she'd smack me with it, and it'd break in half, and then I would laugh and laugh at her, and it just drove her more and more mad because I knew it did. That was the wooden spoon. But I didn't like that at the time either. Nonetheless, mm. um, I don't know. I think you should have to heavily consider it, uh, and we're overdue to hang for a weekend anyways. That's why I invited you out for the uh, race and a hang weekend, and then you could put two back-to-back yeah. pseudo- hill races in the mix and you may or may not have a hill race on the horizon that you care about that's shorter so i don't know
0: i'm trying well, i'm okay talking about that i've signed up for it you can find me in the en- oh you the are entrance list i'm signed up yeah yeah i'm 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 registered for it so i'm i'm going to the uh the, the spartan 3k in at palmerton or poconos as they call it now
1: very fancy um okay cat's out of the bag then you're racing 3k mm-hmm. elite series
0: sweet no not series but well, the elite okay, stop fair. in the series um
1: all right well i've said my piece i hope some of the listeners get on you for it it's just like every listener that ever was just every day i get one message about somebody being like when are you gonna do hybrid i saw your thruster video all this it's like sign up you p word look at this it's coming to indiana look at this it's like every day i have somebody coming at me about doing hybrid and so my hope is that Every day somebody comes at you about going to Cincinnati and then coming up to Afton and joining
0: me. And then eventually you'll break. Well, why don't I just verbally commit to both then? Do it. Because deep down, the uh, take my personal blinders off and step outside says, you not wanting to get beat badly and exposed in a half marathon means you should go run one. Because it's going to force you to prepare for one a little longer. Do a little bit more volume. Do a little bit more vert. No one ever became a worse runner by doing those two things. So, I know I should do it. But that leads me to dilemma number two, Kirk. Which is, what do you wear for a 13-mile race that's going to spend half the time on a ski slope and half the time on trails? I've been sitting here looking around my little shoe studio here. And I've got a shoe for every tool or tool for every course but maybe not a course that's half and half. I have shoes that would be great for it, but I can't handle wearing them for 13 miles. Huh. What would you wear right now? Right now? Let's start with perfect scenario. Your feet, your legs can handle the pounding in any shoe. What shoe are you taking on a Midwest... Let's say we need three thousand to 3,500 feet of climbing and descending in potentially very dewy, overgrown grass on sh- on steep ski slopes, and you also have to run seven miles on single track or or bushwalk.
1: Um I'm probably going to go with the obvious choices. To be honest with you, the Extreme Two, if it's soft and steep and aggressive, or the Scott Super Track RC Two. Um, those are pretty easy for me, and in fact. What I'm finding is that in longer races, more shoe is, I've preached this before, but more shoe is still more. And I'm in love with like even mm-hmm. something, if the water wasn't till the end, for example, I could see myself running in a Speed Goat 5 or a X, even in a Spartan beast. If, if there's not a bunch of water early or it's going to log my shoes down, like that saves my legs the second half of a race. And I'm often better, yeah. f- even if it's a heavier shoe. Um, but you know what? Honestly, if it's spongy, like the Evo Jaws are still my favorite shoe of all time when I want to run fast, and it could be a good, could be a good course for a neat pair of Evo Jaws, which I see right behind mm-hmm. your left shoulder there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If it's slick, I mean, you saw what happened with the Scott Supertracks in Welch at Welch Village. When it's slick, you don't want to be descending on grass in those.
1: I fell twice in those. <laughs> yeah.
0: They're a fantastic shoe, but they are not made for the wet, and they don't claim to be. They're a high mountain shoe racer. That's fine, but I love this shoe. Evo Jaws, Extreme 2, any of those would work. The question is, what is going to happen to my lower legs the last five miles when we're trying to run? I, I would wear Speedgoat fives, like you said, if it wasn't a mud bath or if the water wasn't till the end, so I'll probably bring them along and check the course out. I have no shame in running in more of a shoe. But do you know what I was thinking? Ultra. VJ okay. Ultra. I don't hate it. That might be my middle ground shoe can handle the terrain. And it's got a little more to it to save me.
1: Uh, This is how I know you're emotionally committing to doing this because you're talking about shoes. And I know if anything's going to strike an emotional chord with you, it is shoes. And so if your head goes right to shoes, that means Bracken's taking it seriously because as soon as Bracken commits to a race, whether it's hybrid or anything, the first conversation is about shoes immediately and I don't think I've had this hypothetical conversation with you mm-hmm. if you're just like thinking about it. I feel like I feel like it's an emotional commitment. That's all I'm saying.
0: Do I have a tab up on my computer with the map going down to Lawrenceburg and another tab with the elevation profile of the mountain? Yes, I do. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm, anyway, the Ultra Two I did not like. I took it out for two trail runs to kind of test it out and I didn't like it. The four foot felt too thin Uh, it it felt like too much shoe to be a light racer and not enough shoe to be an ultra shoe and then I took it out for a hill workout and the shoe came alive the shoe is designed to be run Hmm. fast and it runs lighter than it feels and it runs lighter the faster the pace got Mm -hmm. for me if that makes sense the shoe kind of disappeared with using it. And when I wasn't plotting, it had plenty of cushion for running fast. It, it was weird. I, I was the, the name VJ Ultra clouded my perception of what the shoe should be. But if there was no name and you just handed it to me and said, go try it in a workout, I would have come back and said, this is a pretty good cushioned racer. I wouldn't take it out for an Ultra in the mountains, but... The shoe changed. Com- it was a one eighty. As soon as I used it for something other than slow plotting,
1: I believe I saw a pair of ultras in the three k elite first race down in Palm Beach. Somebody had a pair of ultras on, didn't they? Okay. So apparently, it can be worn for shorter stuff. I suppose maybe Batras would. Batras have... or Veerman or somebody. I thought I saw some some green shoes. It doesn't matter. But point being, I think others have discovered the same thing. So
0: in conclusion. Or in extension, I don't know what this is going to (laughs) do. Which is usually the case with you. (laughs) Yeah, Five weeks to go, that leaves two big hill weekend days ahead of me. Maybe one medium-long hill and two big smash-my-leg-up type hills. I'm going to take those out and do it. I like it. I approve. That's exactly what I would do. He's emotionally committed. Or maybe... Maybe I just kick it old school, Kirk. I still have three newish pairs of Reebok All Terrains just waiting, waiting to rip. I never running them, but I do like me a cheap pair of shoes that's poorly built. So
1: yeah, I mm-hmm. can fit the bill.
0: Disposable. Mm-hmm. Know what I think? Disposable. Yeah, it's like a single-use camera.
1: All I know is that if you're in good shape, other than like major catastrophes it doesn't matter what shoe you wear and if you're splitting hairs even two three ounce difference in shoes like let's say an evo jaws which is five or six ounces and a hoka Speedgoat goat five which is eight or nine ounces you're going to run well either way or you're going to run shitty either way based on where your fitness is at there'll be some subtle details but, like, as far as weight goes, it's almost a non-factor. Do you remember when Rebecca Hammond came on the scene and ran West Virginia out front? She wore an original pair of speed goats speed in the goats. old model, which are heavier than the Fives. They're just big, clunky pillow shoes. Didn't matter. Fitness is fitness. Whether you got it mm-hmm. or not, it's going to come out, right? So I would find
0: comfort in that, one way or the other. You should because you're in shape. What I've come to realize is that the people who spend the most time obsessing over the exact best tool for the course are the ones bringing less fitness to the to the course. The less you bring, the more you have to bring other things to kind of support what's missing. And I I understand that about myself. When's the last time I showed up to a race and just walked up and said, no one's outworked me. <laughs> no one is in better fitness than me. When's the last time you think I could have said that?
1: I hate to say it, Bracken, but not since I've known you.
0: Yeah. So what else is there to do? I find the best shoe to try to gain seconds. Not since we started this podcast, I should say. No, of course not. Yeah. I can think of two points in my life I could say it. Three points in my life I could say it. One of them wasn't that no one had outworked me because most people had, but no one was just as specifically prepared as I was. So if you take out that... The total confidence of showing up knowing I am in monster shape and I'm super prepared for this, I haven't been able to say that in like seven years. So I turn to shoes, Kirk, and maybe it's, it's just covering up my deeper insecurities. Some people comfort eat. Some people comfort shoe.
1: It really, you know, could go either way. And with you, it's shoes. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah. The better you are at running, the more durable you are, the less it matters what's on your feet. Yeah. you got seven miles of fitness in you for a 13-mile race. You've got to find everything you can to put on your foot to delay that 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 leg implosion. That's all.
1: You might want to consider the alphas then. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So if you look across, if we are talking, since we're talking about Spartan racing at the moment, Um, and I don't want this to turn into like a rendition of a race brain episode, so I'm going to cut us off, but, um, but the curiosity about, I don't think I've seen, and I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but I haven't seen really any in quote names or any of the top, top tier athletes showing up anymore to the regional races. Even last year, you'd see it once in a while, your prior, you'd see it once in a while. Um, but I just don't, I don't, we haven't seen one Glennon myself. If you want to put me in there, maybe if, has there been anybody else that would be even a Spartan pro in quotes that has shown up to a regional Joshua Reed, maybe showed up somewhere down in Arizona. Mm -hmm. But like, I just think the chances of big, big doggies showing up these days, It's, you know, it's the chase pack who now has their potential to break through that seem to be really embracing the regional races. Um, Not I don't even know what that means for you if you show up. But I'm saying, like, I don't I don't think we're going to see people paying for these races anymore in the top, top tier. So I don't know who would even show up.
0: Yeah. And really, it's less about people showing up and more about it's not about being beaten or embarrassed by athletes. It's by the distance just going through that last hour of misery. But that's probably what I need, Kirk. But I guess, yeah, if, you, if you've if you not yet had your crack at me, <laughs> come out and get me in Cincinnati. <laughs> this is a real, real ripe opportunity.
1: That's fair. I think I'm starting to formulate my uh, what I want to do this summer uh, as well. Um, are you going to talk
0: about it? Or is it secret?
1: No, nothing I do is secret. I'm not in the closet like you are whatever that it's a safe space for me yeah. kirk i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but um i was entertaining hopping into grandma's marathon in june um somebody registration was passed by the time i started deciding on these things and then uh in a mutual friends of ours his son was signed up for the full and can't do it due to a conflict with some other sport or something and said hey man i got a I got, you can transfer bibs at grandma's. So it's legal to do that. You can actually transfer. I can run as myself. And I said, yeah, man, give me a week to two to think about it. I just returned to running after a week off and then, uh, come to find out the transfer date had come and gone and Uh. the decision was made. So it's not possible to transfer after a certain date. And so, um, so I'm certainly going to run Afton, which is one of my favorite races you've trained out at afton with me it's a it's basically a ski hill driftless glacier region just south of the twin cities here and get some good talent to come out um i'm gonna do that and then i am as randomly going to all the way through the fall pop into 5k to half marathon distances on the roads uh maybe beginning in june here and um and run for times um my sole goal. There is a tracksmith race that comes to the Twin Cities under the the lights. They run a five thousand meters. I think it comes once or twice, where it's legit seated competition. I think the fast heat seeds at fifteen thirty and under. And right now, I would say that I fit that bill. So I think I could get in with some fast guys. Last year, they were both one in the fourteen teens or the fourteen twenties. So legit track racing as a forty year old here. I'm thinking about. I don't know the dates, but I'm thinking about pulling the trigger on those. And then, um, I'm either a going to shift to hybrid in the winter or b focus on a spring marathon potentially, but that's where, um, that's where I'm at right now. So I might actually get on the track and try to rip, which I haven't raced shoulder to shoulder in tight quarters like that. I mean, I've only time trialed five K's for the last four years. And so I have no idea what that would be like. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm I'm not going to be at any OCR races unless some circumstance pops up where somehow it makes sense for who knows what reasons. But um, I'm chasing times, and I have no shame in saying that. Which for some reason gets a little I don't know. Sometimes it gets scoffed at in our OCR I don't know world. Like it's not understood by a lot of the OCR masses. The time chasing, right? It's a met, what can you do on course? You know, sure you're a fast runner, but how does it translate? Well, I don't care about that right now. I just care about being a fast runner. So, so that's my plan and that's what I'm doing. What do you, do you approve of that? What do you think?
0: I do. Uh, we talk a lot about how you can be faster into your forties and that's all true, but it's also true that speed starts to atrophy, Mm -hmm. fast twitch starts to go and you are like firmly into that place where you're going to have to start working harder and harder for every shorter distance. Yep. Your chance to PR a mile is probably gone. I will say objectively, it's gone. Your chance to PR an 800 is definitely gone. 3K, who knows? 5K is still there because I don't think you ever ripped a 5K in your prime. So even though if you're not in your prime 5K ability, you have the chance to PR. But those days are limited. So I think you go for it. And, And you'll be able to continue PR in distances for several years. But the 5K, now's the time. You've got a great base. It doesn't take a ton to sharpen up for it. You are a quick responder to intensity. And if you have the luxury of being in a, a location where you can get into legit fast races and just get on the, the the coattail of some some very, very good runners and let them pull you along until it's time to get tough, I think that's a mm-hmm. no-brainer.
1: Yeah, I I was talking to Tyler German, who I had on when you were on vacation. We did a training Tuesday together. Um, For those of you listening, you probably know. Mm -hmm. And he had mentioned, so we started looking up, and I don't think this was on air. It was after we talked, I believe. But there are even, like, the standards to make, like, the Masters National chant. Like, they'll have, like, like, USATFs or some of, like, the... <clears throat> the national meets like to make it as a masters athlete a lot of times you can actually get in like if i can break 15 minutes like i'm in like i can go race with legit like top tier pro runners that have aged out of their prime because there's not many people doing it after they get to a certain age people either give it up or they just stop competing and um there i was looking at the standards and i'm like i think if like Think if I could break 15 as a 40 year old, run under 15, which I think is in the realm of possibility. I don't know. Might be worth like, might be worth veer and left for sure. It is and being like, did Kirk go from running mountain beasts at altitude to going and chasing the track as a 40 year old and flying to California to run a national masters track meet? Like, is that an idiotic thing to consider? I don't know, but I need to start running times first to find out. So. That's where my head is at, which is, you.
0: I went to predicted that in a million years. No, but th- there's been changes to your landscape and the sports landscape. And we had very different reactions to the OCR changes going from mountain-based 90 to 120-minute races down to loops of a 1K course for a total of 3K of work. Uh, that just didn't ever move the needle for you at all. And it immediately, I was like a moth to a flame with it. So you can't fight who you are and what you're excited about. You got to go after.
1: You know, and you probably experienced the same thing. So this, I wonder if you guys listening can relate to this. Um, and I hope you can maybe. It was like when I first found this sport and then I went and ran my first mountain, it was the worst I've ever felt about myself and running in a decade or two. Right. It was like, I was so humbled and... In the fact that I walked around with my chest puffed out thinking I was this fantastic athlete. And then I went to the Spartan Race World Championships in 2016. Ran my first mountain race. Gotten a burpee off with Rose Wetzel who started 20 minutes after me and caught me. And finished 58th place for the men. Thinking that I was tough shit. And then I put my soul into changing that. I got an incline trainer per recommendation. I went to the ski hill twice a week. I literally transformed. And like when you commit that much time to changing what you're good at, like suddenly I finally like feel like, hey, I got a shot now. Like I've worked for years. And then it felt like the rug was just kind of pulled out a little bit. It's like hard to just detach from that too. Do you know what I'm saying? And you, the same thing. You trained for Killington back in the day as an 800 track athlete completely transformed your training and we're successful so it's like there's like an attachment issue for me there like i can't let all that go to waste i've worked hard to build an engine that can handle whatever and so like the 3k just seemed like not a good use of my emotional and physical investments
0: does that make sense it does and and i have a taste of that because i've grown to love the mountains and the long stuff I never saw it coming, but then the first time I ran a mountain, which was at, again, just like you, the Spartan Race World Championships. Mine was in 2012 in Killington. It was the first mountain I ever stepped foot on as an athlete. I had We, we went to Switzerland when I was five, so I was technically on a mountain then. But outside of that, I had never been on one, and I'd certainly never run, let alone raced, and I fell in love with it. It was just so matched to my soul is what I felt like I was on that mountain just thinking I may be miserable physically but this is awesome and I never felt that in any other version of running it was miserable and I was in the mix or it was miserable and I was out of the mix but I was never miserable and awesome at the same time so I have that attachment to the mountains and we moved out to Colorado for three years and I fell in love with that but my entire time in OCR I used to just gripe constantly or complain or just kind of bemoan the fact to Lisa and anyone else who would listen of all these guys get to do the races that they're good at. I would look at Cody or Hobie or Ryan Atkins or John Albin or Robert Killian and say they all get to match their skill set to the world championship or to the national series. They might have one race per year or two. They also get to match the terrain that is out their back door. Correct. Yes. Which is huge. And if it's at altitude, like living in Colorado for three years, I got significantly better at handling altitude, but it is not the same as being born and raised and training there every day of your whole life. And I guess it sounds like excuses, but to me, these were facts. It was just the fact that they, there's this template And we're uh, of the race or the world championship. And then we have to place yourself over the top of it. And they fit into that template very snugly. And I was always trying to worm and cram myself, these weird folds and edges that I have that don't appear to fit in there. And I was always trying to make myself fit into that template. So even though I fell in love with the process and the location and the race type, I always was envious of athletes who got to be tested on the thing that they were best at. And then suddenly this year, they decided mm. to do that for me. Yeah. Not for me, but that's how it felt. They switched to a 3K. I have no love for short course. You're not paying somebody off here?
1: You didn't slip a few hundos into somebody's mailbox?
0: <laughs> I mean, I would have gladly done this in the past. I would have paid any amount to try to like, have my chance of glory. I gave up on those years. And then it was kind of just like olive branched out to me out of nowhere, where this is the thing that I'm good at. I don't know how good I am at it anymore. I am years past where I was at fitness wise in a negative direction. I am older than I was. I am slower than I was. I am heavier than I was. I am less passionate about the sport than I was. But for the first time ever, I fit the template yep. of the race. And so I went in the opposite direction of you, which is even though I have fallen in love with mountains, how do I not try this? I wanted this for almost a decade It's here. I have to find out if all this talk I had all these years of, you know, if they just had a world, a short course, I'd be world champ. I believe that from like 2012 to 2017 or 18, if they would just put a short course on, I'd be the world champ at worst. I'd wind up on the podium. Well, now it's here Mm -hmm. and no one else cares what kind of fitness I'm in. No one else cares what age I am. No one else cares what I've been doing with my body weight or anything like that. It's time to put up or shut up. And so that's what I'm training towards. And so you and I are going to go in the exact opposite direction. You're going to chase your passion and I'm going to chase the thing that I never really had. Yeah. I'm like the adult who buys a PlayStation for the first time who's denied it his whole life. <laughs> Am I too old to play with it? Maybe, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to spend like all weekend just being a child again. I mean, you laid that
1: out for me pretty simply to understand. So I understand the world through your eyes in that decision-making process. I can track with that. I get it. That makes sense. We've never had that exact discussion. Mm -hmm. But when you break it down as to the why, um, sure, logic can follow that timeline. So I get it. I mean, Bracken Crocker was chasing chasing the shortest race series he could in his health, and that was the stadium series because it was the shortest, explosive, most transition-oriented race available Mm -hmm. to you. And you went and won the stadium series every year they had it, except one or all. I don't remember. Maybe except one. But anyways, makes sense. It's just interesting to see like, I, I don't know, people, I imagine some of you listening are at a crossroads with your decision making as well. And we had this conversation, I don't know if it was on here or Race Brain Bracken, um, but about how we basically just choose our races because that's all that's available to us, even though it might not fit our passion right? Like all we have available now Mm -hmm. is X, Y, and Z. And so am I, does the 3k fire me up? No, but I'm going to pick it because it's all that's available, for example, or, you know, and our offerings have become less and less. And so sometimes in sport, especially in OCR, it becomes just like, what's the least of all the evils for me. And even though nothing really moves the needle for me, I'm stuck in the self-identified OCR athlete realm now. So that's what I do, which is totally cool. But sometimes we're left stuck feeling like we don't have the options that excite us the most. And, and in some sense, um, you have to pivot and figure out what excites you the most. And like you had said, something was not handed to you, but created in which did that for you, which is great for me. That was the opposite. Right. And so I think some of you listening, like, I'm not encouraging you to leave the OCR scene. Of course not, but if you do feel like you're doing things or going through the motions for the sake of doing them because that's all that's available to you, I don't think that's a good reason to continue spending thousands of dollars and traveling across the country unless they really jack you up. And for me, it was like, can I justify it? And the answer was, well, I can justify it, but I have to start stretching pretty thin to do so. And that's why I have made the decision not to chase it currently. And that could change. They could go back to the old format next year and maybe I pivot again. I don't know, but... Um, I, I guess it really is the opposite of what you're doing in in a sense. We're both, we're, we're going,
0: I think we're night and day. Yeah. Wild. Which is ironic because you're a better miler than me. Yeah. Like you, I think you could be very good at this. I agree. But your love was never fast, bang, 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 highly anaerobic, athletic movement type of OCR. It was, I'm going to chase the series. Like you did one stadium. One. Did very well at it and never flew to a or one in your life. I was flying all over doing them because I was chasing it. It never spoke to you the way it did to me, even though on paper, your every bit is geared towards this as I am. Yeah. I have a little, probably a little more athleticism in terms of like athletic background and you have better running at this distance. I think we would come out pretty evenly matched in this probably. And yet you don't care about it. And that's all that matters. That's what keeps
1: the little devil on my shoulder there, gnawing at me once in a while. But I'm just—you're not supposed to listen to the devil. You don't listen to right. him. You listen to the angel. So I'm trying—the OCR 3K devil. I'm just flicking him off my shoulder constantly. I'm like, get out of here, <coughs> flick. And he comes back, lands on there every once in a while. I'm like, get out of here, man, <coughs> flick. That's What happens?
0: Well, you keep using this word going in on or chasing, and—and and that's kind of what I promised Lisa. I was done doing mm. when we ended that chapter of our lives. And part of the reason for that was the sheer hours needed to pursue two to three hours of racing. The training load is incredible to try to and it's essentially a marathon training, right? You're training for a marathon in the mountains. That type of duration. You you can't be under double-digit training hours a week and be a world champion. I don't think we've ever had it. Hobie Call was probably the lowest running volume athlete and he was doing 45 to 60 minute (laughs) warm-ups before his workouts you know his his training load was just as enormous as anyone else's you who have we had a world champ ryan atkins on the men's side robert killian cody moat hobie call uh who else do we have albin albin those are big volume athletes very big and on the sergey paraligan yeah and on the female side, you have uh, Amelia Boone, um, you have Lindsay Webster, Nicole Miracle. Uh, Nicole maybe is the lowest volume athlete to ever win it. You had Claude uh, Godbu back in the day. You had uh, Jenny Tobin. Susanna. Jenny Tobin was coming off of a uh, professional triathlete. Oh, that's, that's as big volume as it gets. So you have these people who are just massive volume winning it, and it's not coincidence. And so I told Lisa, I'm not going in because it just takes over my world. When I go in and chase a series, I have to put in the work if I'm going to do it. Well, 3K is a little different. You could very realistically, now I'm not saying it's the best training, but you could go all in on a 3K race, be set up to be a world champion on 60 minutes or less per day. 100%. And you would not be at a huge disadvantage. That's not the route I'm going to take, but you could. You you could even conceivably commit 45 minutes a day and have a chance to make a world podium in a 3K duration if you were really, really on it with what your plan was. That doesn't exist elsewhere, so I can go all in without it destroying my world. Does that make sense?
1: I mean, yeah, general rule of thumb, if you look at training philosophy up to a certain point, up to like the 10K anyways... Is, you know, if your long run is minimum of three times your race duration, you're probably going to have enough stamina when combined with purposeful work. Let's say the Spartan 3K is a 20-ish minute race. That means in, like, hypothetically, 60-minute long run, in quotes, based on very simple training philosophy, would be enough to help you sustain through a Mm -hmm. 20-minute race with the right purposeful skill work and anaerobic work and all that. So, yes, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, so then even if you did a 60 minute per day average and then throw in three more hours of strength work throughout the week and accessory work, it's a 10 hour training week. Take one day off of running and you've got a nine hour training week that could win you a world championship. It's very doable. So again, I'm not saying I'm going to win the world championship, but I can proceed as if I'm going to without losing my, my wife and kids. Or my business, which is kind of an ideal thing. Well, let's talk
1: about that for a second. Because I don't know how much laundry of mine I want to air Okay. right now, but I think I, w- I will. <laughs> um, but let's talk about you first, Okay. balancing life and kids. Um, as my perspective as your podcast co-host, I have noticed you being busier lately than normal. So balancing it all Mm -hmm. out has to be top of mind, right? (laughs) Yeah. What what does that look like for you?
0: I have to do something that I've not had to do in a while, which is stick to my workout time frames, my slots in the day. What is my window? I have to hit it. Uh, And if I don't hit it, it's gone. I don't get to choose to do it at a bad time. And I'm so, so at it right now. I'm on week four of a sustained plan, and I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm not setting the world on fire, but I'm progressing in fitness, and I'm not yet, you know, burning my house to the ground. But I have to get more disciplined, which is not something I've needed to be on the workout front for a long time because I haven't a goal. I haven't had a goal that required discipline, so I, I I can't say I'm succeeding super well, but I'm I'm getting better each week.
1: But did things come to a head at some point? Like, why would you have had that? Yeah, this is not a therapy session, so we don't need to go too deep. But why would you have had that conversation with Lisa about not chasing anything? Like, why would that have even had to be a conversation?
0: It's happened twice. In Colorado, uh, it was all-consuming for me. I was the worst dad I've ever been and the worst husband I've ever been. The reason we were out there was to chase this. I had a contract to chase this. You know, that was back in the, we were getting signing bonus days or sponsorships. we, we were making our living off of my racing. This was prior to doing this leaderboard started in our last year of Colorado. This was at the time, all we were doing was racing for our money and racing for our meals. So that's why we were there, but I let it, I let it go too far. I started living the pro-lifestyle that I saw other people living, which was sleep in a little bit in the morning, do my first run around 9 a.m., recover afterwards. We had babies at the time, so there was always a baby napping, and I'd put the baby down so that I could nap too or just relax and watch a movie and be off my feet, and then I'd do my p.m. workout. And where, where am I throughout the day? I'm generally running. Lisa, who is getting up to take care of the
1: kids? At 6 a.m., you were yeah, Lisa. prioritizing your sleep. I get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and it started by like one day I was really tired after a run. And so I, I just ignored it when Lisa got out of bed to go handle a baby. And that just snowballed to that. This is kind of our roles in the family right now. And it was our lowest point of our marriage. I wasn't a bad husband. I treated her with love and respect, but not with near the attention or attentiveness that she deserved. And I was crabby a lot because I was tired a lot from training and I didn't go out of my way to play with the kids and I made excuses a lot. So this is really airing the laundry out, but we had a really big blow up talk on the way home from the Breckenridge beast in 20 whatever, our last year out there. It was a terrible weekend, Kirk. It was probably the worst weekend of my life, which it says that I'm lucky, but we everyone in the family got the flu everyone got the flu i've told you about this a little bit we stayed in this Mm -hmm. condo in breckenridge and the race was the next day and all three kids were throwing up all afternoon all night long in the morning i looked at lisa i'm like what should we do she said we're all the way here go race so i jogged over to packet pickup warmed up grabbed my stuff jogged back i walk in the door and Lisa's standing there with no clothes on, holding two crying kids, and they're not wearing any clothes. Because all the clothes are full of vomit. No one has any clothes left. We've puked through everything. And I just looked at her like, what are we doing? She said, just go race. And I went out and took like 8th or 12th or something. It was my 18th. 18th. Whatever it was, it was my lowest finish ever in a National Series race. I was never in it. And I was very fit. And we got done and got in the car after all this nonsense. She got some laundry done in the condo so that we could wear clothes on the way home. And we drove in silence for like 45 minutes. And finally, I looked at her and I said, are you happy? And she just started crying. And we didn't talk for like five more minutes. And then she asked if I was happy. And I'm like, no, not really. And we had this conversation. And it was really standoffish. And it was really as raw and as uncomfortable as that conversation is ever in a marriage. Yeah. But we had like a three and a half hour drive. (laughs) We couldn't get away from it. And the last hour and a half was so productive. And we were just honest with each other about where we felt let down by the other person. And by the end of that drive, we had one foot out of Colorado and we moved home. Spartan World Championships were, what, like six or eight weeks later or something like that. And we moved home the week after world championships. I said, that was it. I'm not doing this anymore. It wasn't going to set us like that gold at the end of the rainbow that we thought was coming, the ESPN contract, a million dollar deal or whatever it was like we weren't, that wasn't coming. I was going backward in the sport. I was never going to be a world championship at a champion at this kind of distance. And the big break, no one was ever getting it. We kept being dangled in front of us, but it just never was coming. And so we just said, we're not going to do that. I become too obsessive if I'm trying to win a world championship. And then I moved on with everything and started the coaching businesses and, and trained, but didn't really go after anything. And then, uh, had the desire to run that ultra in Tahoe. And I started getting that way again. Mm. I had it in my head. I was going to win the ultra at the Spartan world championships. All this work would bolster my engine back up. And I just had it in my head that I could be competitive again while living at sea level and I let it creep back in, even though that wasn 't the goal early on, I started doing longer, long runs and more double sessions, and my mileage rose, and I started driving into a half hour to get to the type of hills I wanted to do and doing two and a half hour workouts and driving a half hour back
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know suddenly that's a three and a half hour trip without any downtime and like taking your shoes off and rehydrating going it 's a four hour five hour it's just It started creeping up again, and I I told her, I'm sorry, I understand this is happening. This is just to get through Tahoe, and this won't happen again. And I got done with Tahoe and had a terrible experience, and I DNF'd. And that's really hard to come home to a wife afterwards who is super supportive, but you know if you were in her shoes, you'd be like, you did all of this, and you didn't even finish the damn race? Like, What was the point of all of this? She didn't do that because she's a fantastic human being. But she should have. And I promised her, I said, I will not do this again. That's it. It's not worth it. So that's all the the backstory and talking, you know, airing the dirty laundry, like you said, of why this is not acceptable for me to do. Because if you're making your millions or you're setting your family up for life, you can endure some down times, some bad times, some some times where you are not present. But when it's for your passion... And you can't really justify it financially or for setting your kids up for life. It is not acceptable in my eyes. So that's that's what led to all this.
1: Well, I wasn't asking for dirty laundry, or, but I'm glad I got it. You got you it. You know what I think of when you tell me all that is, um, ugh, this is going to sound, I don't even know if I should say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Maybe all of your miserable last three years with injury and all of that was for life- progression outside of sport right to help you recalibrate to help you not have to pick and choose or or split hairs or time it's like well if you walk into the wall three times take the door and at some point it's like maybe the cards dealt are really good for bracken as a human not as good for bracken as like an athlete but uh i always like i mean you can find Meaning in anything, if you look hard enough, right? Because if that's your nature, but like this one, I don't think you have to look that hard at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, maybe, maybe not. I don't know,
0: but it crosses my it crosses my mind. No, I, we talk about it all the time. She and I talk about it all the time. My dad and I talk about it all the time that I'm a I'm a stubborn learner. I tend to learn the best when I smack the bottom, when I hit the bottom hard. That's what changes
1: things i think all men do though in general but nonetheless but nonetheless
0: yeah foresight i can have foresight and go eh? it'll be fine until it's not fine and then i adapt and it's one of the biggest places i've tried to grow personally is seeing around the corner not just seeing that hey there's a corner going up there but hey all gas no brakes like no what's waiting on the other side let's prepare for it now it's i've really tried to be better at that and what these injuries did is they made me confront the end of my quote unquote athletic career before I was out of my prime. I always dreaded the end. What would happen when I'm no longer relevant or no longer able to do the things that I love? Well, I, I lost that already. I got through it already. I got to the point where I don't need it as my identity anymore. And now it would be cool to do some things. Right. But not because it'll change who I am, just because that'd be really cool. And that's going to be a much healthier mindset for me. Now I'm comfortable going all in on something on an hour a day with a few 90 minute or two hour sessions scattered when it makes sense, like during a NASCAR race or early in the morning, but I'm not prioritizing. I must sleep in until 9am to get my rest and now go out on a five hour adventure. So I think you're right. I had to progress past needing it like I needed oxygen. Mm-hmm. You, you, that's that famous quote, like when, as soon as you want it, as bad as you want to breathe. Right. Well, that was never my issue. <laughs> My issue was I I wanted it too badly. I was willing to cut off all the other oxygen in the room in order to get it. And that's not healthy or sustainable. Yeah. And I was delusional, Kirk.
1: What way? Why? Why were you delusional?
0: Because I really believed I was going to be this great professional athlete. Because I came into the sport when it was not even close to developing. And I made the podium at the very first world championship, at the regular distance and the ultra distance, and came back thinking, I only have to catch two people and I'm a world champ. And I just need to work harder and I'll do it. And the sport just kept getting bigger, but I kept thinking, oh, I'm going to get my break and I'm going to do this. And there was always just enough little breadcrumbs in front of me that I thought, I- I'm almost there. But the sport is full of cautionary tales of people who just dropped their life and went in on it. And everyone on the outside knew, like, come on, man, you're not that person. But it didn't matter to them. They knew they, they could be anything they wanted to be. Well, you can. <laughs> you're allowed to pursue it, but there's no guarantee that you can act- ever actually do it. And I should have realized early on where this was going. And I held on too long early, and I thought more of myself than I should have. I was delusional on what I could be. There is so much truth that I am so lucky to have been in the sport when I was. Everything I have today is because I got in the sport early. However, it gave me this false sense of entitlement and sense of self as an athlete that never would have happened had I come into the sport later on. I would have been one of the faces in the crowd and I would have been aware of what I was capable of. So there's good and bad to both sides, but... I was delusional for years thinking I'm going to be that guy.
1: Well, the alternative, in my opinion, is worse where you don't believe you can do anything and you might as well just give up or not start. But uh, both severe ends of the spectrum can be detrimental, I would say. So that tracks.
0: There's that quote, your personal rights end where someone else's begin. Sure. That's kind of how I feel about pursuing goals your right to be anything you want ends when it starts destroying someone else's life or negatively impacting it. So a little little bit behind uh, the psychology of me, why I am the way that I am, Kirk.
1: We're all head cases. It's just how bad and in regards to what. And if you're not, you are one of the blessed. Yeah. Because there's a lot rattling around inside these domes of most people, including myself. So like, I don't, I'm not saying your story is a common one mm-hmm. because it's not but um I think there's a way that you most people could relate to that in some regard. See, I'm lucky in the sense where I spend very little of my emotional energy thinking about sport outside of like I get my run done like it mm-hmm. I don't I'm the opposite of you in that way as many similarities as we have in philosophy um very different. Like it takes very little of my power Uh, life energy or emotional fortitude to do what I do. In fact, like maybe race week, the two days beforehand, it starts consuming a lot of my thoughts, but like I can get done, separate, move on. I obsess a lot more over my work, unfortunately, which makes me very compulsive with responding to athletes, with getting plans made, with all of my other intricacies, which is a whole different story, but with the sport side of things, I don't have that luckily. And I don't know if it's by creation or if it's just mm-hmm. by default, but I don't know. Sometimes we are the way we are and that's just how it goes.
0: Yeah. I don't think we can fight who we are. Yeah. But I think that that goes into what you and I are both doing. Like you can't really f- stop being who you are. You can find your best place to channel it. Yeah. So right now I'm going to try to channel my training and energy and athleticism into this version of the sport, and you're going to channel it into your version of the sport. But I think where we both win on this, where we both have guardrails up, is that what do we expect to be waiting for us at the end of this trip if we are 100% successful? Like, what do you get out of it? If you nail all of this, you break 14 or 15 minutes in a 5k, you run, let's say an Olympic trials marathon qualifier. What if all these, like your grandest, wildest dreams come true? What does it do for your life? Like, what does it change? What's waiting? Personal satisfaction and contentment with a pursuit personally. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's not worthwhile it doesn't mean it's not super impressive but if you run 1440 in the 5k you're not getting a shoe contract if you run a 218 flat or 217 flat which would be like the greatest thing you'd ever accomplished athletically there's not this million dollar deal waiting so it doesn't change your trajectory what if i what if i hit the moon here and won the spartan race 3k world championship this year I get a one-time payment right then, and that's it. There may not even be a sport next year. Like I'm not expecting, A, to win, and B, even if I did, it's not like there's the hopes and dreams of my family right upon this. Nothing changes. A bunch of people who already know me pat me on the back, and then it moves on. So I think the fact that we're not expecting some great breakthrough from our breakthrough is a good guardrail.
1: Yeah, I also think that the lucky ones are uh, you guys listening at home that don't rely or have not chosen to rely on your performance to pay your bills. I think you look at the outside in thinking, oh, it must be nice or it would be so great to be a Ryan Atkins living in the mountains and using athlete contracts and all that. But I'm pretty sure Lindsay Webster took a job, for example, and she's the best we've ever seen. On the women's side of the sport, mm-hmm. and and I don't know, I don't know them very well personally, so I don't want to put words in the mouth, but like, still trying to, you know, cover their life, we'll call it, in other ways, and so it's like if the pressure is off, like you can do something purely for thyself, which is what we're reduced to at this point, like just personal growth and satisfaction. I think it's in the most purest form, and some pro athletes that make their living can do that. They can. And it's a great if they're able to do that and separate it, but it becomes more and more difficult. I think the more and more successful you are, and so a lot of people at home with the nine to five grind and the seven kids, which I have athletes that fit those bills, and it's hard to get those. It's hard to get those workouts in, and it's the oh, I'm so busy and ho oh, poor me. Not that I have athletes that actually use those words, but it's like, oh, maybe you, maybe you don't have it so bad, at least because this is for you. This is for you for no other reason. So that's like a nice spin to put on it. And it's not a spin at all if that's what you're living. That's how I feel about it personally.
0: For sure. Well, then, and then I think it's the best of both worlds because as a, as a great athlete, a great athlete gets to the end of their career and then they hope they have something in place to do next because there's no 401k waiting for you after being a runner. That's not a thing. There's no retirement unless you've been able to put away for it. But most runners don't earn enough to put away for retirement. And then they start milking the things they've done throughout their career and milking it and milking it. And it wreaks a little bit more of desperation every year and every decade. And eventually, if you didn't do something magnificent, there is no one left that cares enough to give you money for having been someone. So then you have to move into this next stage. And at the end of your life, eventually you're old enough, people don't even ask what your PRs were anymore. No one cares about your accomplishments anymore. And so all you have left is whatever you brought to that point. Whereas if all you do in your entire life is work, you have retirement waiting, but you have regrets of what else could I have done. And so the people who are working and living a normal life and pursuing fitness goals, they have that satisfaction of, here are my PRs. I'm happy with these accomplishments. I finished these races and I have a safety net of a retirement Mm -hmm. and a good family around me. Uh, To me, that's the perfect world because you don't have to worry about either end. You're not going to die with athletic regrets or physical regrets or pursuit regrets, but you're also not going to die destitute or a has-been.
1: Yeah. And as you get older, the, the curve smooths itself out a bit. Like I got some younger guys who are in their young twenties and they're full of piss and vinegar and they are training their asses off and a good race. They're riding high as heck and a bad race. They're down in the trenches and it's like, you know, you're up or down either way. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you realize like, it doesn't really matter. And it's not very important. Like really, it's just not compared to other things in life. And so what if you have a good workout, a bad workout, a great race, a terrible race, shit your pants halfway through or win a gold medal you're going to feel just as content the next day as you age, if you have a healthy relationship with it, as if it it, it doesn't matter is what I'm saying is the results or the process. It's like, eh, it is important for me, but the result, it's not as much about the result, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, results are good, but like, I don't know about you, but my demeanor doesn't change on the day of a good or a bad workout or a good or a bad race anymore. And it used to, it's all mattered in college. When you're trying to hit national qualifying times and, and all of those things, it's like, it was all consuming. I don't really miss those days. I think they served a purpose, but I don't think I miss them. Do you miss those days?
0: That that part of those days. No. No, I don't. Right. Not one bit, because it's not sustainable. The, the older I get, not that I'm old, but the older I get, the more I appreciate Sustainability. Maybe it's the only metric that truly counts is how sustainable is your lifestyle, your pursuits, your goals, your workout style, your training plan. If it's not sustainable, I'm not envious. doesn't matter how spicy or sexy what the thing you're doing is. If it's not sustainable, I'm not envious. You know, you see those people on social media are giving off this crazy, alluring lifestyle. They're always one place or another and eventually they're divorced. And two days earlier, they're posting, uh, oh, my goodness, we're so happy. Look at us in, in Aruba. And it turns out that picture is from like the middle of their divorce. But they had to keep up the appearance for, their, for the algorithm. Not, there's nothing someone can show me anymore that I want to be like <laughs> other than sustainable. That's really it. I want to see, see something, people who have a fantastic rhythm, who are still growing and learning and aren't doing these crazy wild things that aren't sustainable doesn't move the needle for me anymore
1: yeah i think of when i was younger even early 30s 20s for sure um you see like an older guy i remember we had an alumni cross-country meet and a guy showed up that was like 35 36 and he finished just behind me in the 8k race i was running in college at the time and i just thought oh that's cute like this old guy's coming out mm. here and i wasn't a great cross-country under my freshman year and i thought like oh this is cute he came in ran with us college people and thinks he can hang. And then I got older and I started realizing that there's so many younger generation out there full of that piss and vinegar I talked about performing or living at an unsustainable level that by the time they reach 40, which I'm going to turn, actually when this releases, I'll be 40. So I guess whatever, I'm 40. Okay. Like this, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wow, this, happy this 40th, Eric. Oh, thanks, thanks, man. But we're recording it quite a ways ahead of time, like five days early.
0: I'll be turning 36 as yes. you listen there to you it. See,
1: there you have it. Wow. But the point being is a lot of those life stoke high octane uh, ways of life, although they are flashy and they burn hot and they are fun to watch, and I've said this before, and they have some great success, there's like this the sustainability piece becomes, I understand it now more to see somebody like as they age, still being able to do the things at a level, at a high level without ruining the rest of their life in a sense. And so Mm -hmm. it's just like the sustainability piece becomes more and more important. If I could choose to run four days a week for the rest of my life, but starting at 20, or I could run seven days a week and be, see everything of my potential by the time I'm 25, but then hate it by the time I'm 40, not even be able to pass on that habit to my kids, let alone, oh, what dad used to be. Like, no, dad still is because dad found out a way to make this work forever. And so the sustainability piece, and I'm talking as I have no kids, but I can imagine. (laughs) Um, So I agree with you, which is actually the sustainability piece is where my dirty laundry needs to be aired. Do Do you know what that is? Okay.
0: No, I don't. I really don't. It's the very
1: obvious thing we discussed last weekend on the phone when I was ho- on my way home from a workout. Sustainability? Mm-hmm. No. I, I I maybe I'm a terrible friend. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you do know what I'm talking about because I happen to not be involved in something that happened two days ago that I would normally be involved in. I'm giving
0: you your, oh, I'm giving you every gotcha. opportunity here, yes. Bracken. I was just not making the connection. Yeah, yeah. Stretch too thin, not able to give what you need in the areas where yeah. you need to give it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, what I'm alluding at to, and this isn't like some like big reveal or anything, but um, I'm stepping back with my involvement with Race Brain, notably moving forward our other podcast because, um, it was like the it was not the straw that broke the camel's back, but I'm I run. A pretty busy schedule we'll call it and I found that the stress of making that time was taking away from other areas examples being you know I'm getting up at 4 a.m because I feel like I got to get athlete plans made before going into the work going into work to train clients and then not getting enough sleep and then wedging in time for race brain on top of two other recordings with you a week And then not necessarily being as present as I would like to be. And I found myself like less and less happy with like my daily schedule. And so for me, it was, uh, was I needed, I needed those two and a half hours back because they were taking away from two and a half hours that felt more important. So on occasion, I will still be joining, but it was like one of those, it was a sustainability thing. That's exactly what it came down to. Like the writing's on the wall and it's becoming a stressor. And even though I very much enjoy Mm enjoy it. Um, and also like I had, I had an athlete the other day. I often will send like good luck texts out in the morning or just let them know that like, I remember they racing that day. I will do that. And I sent one out and her response was, don't you remember the race got pushed to next weekend? You must have too much, too much on your plate or athletes or something. And I was like, shoot, like, uh, you might be right. Like, if I can't keep track of everything that's going on, then obviously I yeah. need to reconsider what I'm doing. So that's my dirty laundry, which I don't think you guys talked about on the Race Brain episode this, this week. I, I don't know. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to the intro to see if you addressed it, but you did not, I don't think. You just pretend like you weren't there. Oh, but no, you didn't have to pretend. I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I wasn't there. <laughs> no pretending. Oh, we pretended like you had never been there. Oh,
0: that's much better. <laughs> much better. Mom, where's Dad? Who? dad what no eat your dinner <laughs> Is that how it was yeah oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's cute it its
1: own way but that does mean i'm gonna put a little more focus into this like bracken and i we're having a, a meeting tomorrow aren't we we're gonna be putting mm-hmm. a little more time into the podcast at least i will be putting some more emotional time into maybe some things we have going on so that's my plan yeah. definitely
0: well kirk speaking of sustainability ayla has an orchestra concert and i need to leave okay. in five minutes
1: yeah, this is a good day to have this chat. It is. Well hey, and I think maybe our guest our guest uh having connection issues was a blessing because now you get to get out in time and get there for the opening note. How do you yeah. want to wrap this up?
0: Oh how do we even wrap this? I don't even know what this was, to be honest <laughs> no. with you. I guess with the music. Is that it with the music? I don't know what I'm gonna title this. I don't I
1: can't be of much assistance unfortunately i just say if you're still listening to this like thanks (laughs) thank you because there wasn't a lot of direction here which is often how our hour-long conversations go so
0: music till next time